Do you have your Bible or a copy of it? I would love for you to take it. And let's go to the book of Galatians. We're going to resume our time in Galatians. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, and Tyler Fry is going to come. He's going to begin reading in verse 13, Galatians 5, 13, and read through the end of the chapter. So let, let's hear from God's word. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thanks, Tyler, for reading. So imagine with me you have a choice of two communities that you can be a part of. You get to choose between two different communities, so maybe it's helpful to think through a, a neighborhood or a dorm or a work community or something, but you have these two communities. Let me describe community number one. So as you are introduced to that community, you get to meet the people, and the people are nice enough. They seem decent people. They do seem like they love to have a good time. You get to know the community number one a little bit better and some things begin to be bothersome so you kind of get the sense like the people in this it seems like they are only all about themselves they seem to have hardly any interest in anybody else as a matter of fact when you say something there always feels like it's hard to put your finger on it but it's like they they try to one-up everything everything is a competition Everything seems like a little bit better for them than you. And, and even when it seems like everybody's together, something will get weird and some, somehow someone got their feelings hurt and someone's mad at another person and then there's a series of things that can't let something die. Names are called. Cheap shots are taken. As you go deeper, you realize this isn't just like a surface issue. Some, there are some really, some really troubling things about this community and it seems to run pretty deep seems to get pretty cutthroat. And just when you think you've made at least one friend in the community, it seems like you get sabotaged and they're talking behind your back. As you, as you talk with people, you hear like deep resentments. This is a community that keeps score. And somehow they're always on the losing end of keeping score because they've always been done dirty and they have a record of wrongs that they can call up as this person did this, this person did this. I'll never trust this person. 
Imagine this community where it, it seems like, yeah, they know how to have a good time, but it does seem like they, they also don't know when to stop. It seems like they're either always drunk or high, and it doesn't seem like a way of enjoying each other. It's not that at all. It's all about themselves. At the end of the evening, the end of the day, it's just kind of all about them. And this happens again and again and again and again. It's community number one. And then, and then there's another community. So picture with me another community where, again, it's nice enough on the surface, it seems like there are a lot of smiles, a lot of gratitude, a lot of hope, a lot of confidence in like, there is a bigger picture, there is a bigger purpose. And the gratitude doesn't even seem to be because everybody just seems so well off, everything seems perfect. Actually, everything doesn't always seem perfect, and yet there seems to be like a gratitude not for stuff, but for good gifts that God has given, even if things were taken away, it seems like this community seems like they would be okay. And as you get to know this community deeper, you realize this community is driven to love others, particularly driven to love you. Particularly like they seem to be willing to inconvenience themselves for you. And it's not like a surface thing. It's not just sweet talk, but it's Like, it's real. It's very real. It's real action. And it runs deep. The friendships run deep. But it's weird. The friendships are very deep, and yet it's not like a clique that excludes others, but it welcomes people in. And of course, there's no community that's perfect, but there are slights and there there are issues. But even how, how that's handled seems so different when someone seems like they may have had a slight or a problem or a failure. It seems like this community just always seems to assume the best about another person. Always seems to go, you know, it wasn't their day, but I know who they really are. This community restrains their anger and their power because they care about someone else. You can count on them. There's a mutual care. Everybody seems to get it. Like, is there an unwritten memo here that everybody seems to get because they all seem to be invested in each other? And even when there's titles and roles, it doesn't feel, feel like a super hierarchy. It just seems like, yeah, I mean, that helps organize so things don't get forgotten and so decisions are made. But it seems like at the end, nothing is lorded or leveraged over people. It seems like this community is bent on loving each other. I ask you if you had the choice between those two communities to live in, which one would you want to be a part of? Which one would you want to give your life toward building? And it's a no-brainer, 100% no-brainer of what we would want. And I, I, I lay those in such sharp contrast because I think that is exactly what Paul is doing in Galatians 5. He's giving two very contrasting visions of what community could be like. And I think he is pressing like, okay, as individuals and as a church, what kind of community do you really want to build? What kind of community do you really want to be a part of? This letter of Galatians is written, just a a brief reminder, it's written a couple thousand years ago to churches in what would be modern-day Turkey, and these churches were dealing with this very thing of a community that could begin to like be ruptured and begin to pull apart. And so Paul is pressing on like, well, okay, what kind of community are you going to be 
a part of. The discussion in Galatians, if we kind of follow the train of thought that actually we've, we've worked through the last three weeks, it's a train of freedom. So Paul is talking a lot about freedom. He's talking a lot about what Jesus did by living a perfect life and by going to the cross, not for good people, but for rebellious people, for people that deserve the wrath of God. But Christ goes to the cross and is our forgiveness. We can stand free because of what Christ has done for us. And he rises from the dead and he accomplishes that freedom for, for eternity for us. And we are people, God wants us to know that Christians, we are people who are free. But the question today is like, how do we use that freedom to build community, to build partnership? to build relationships? How do we use that freedom? Because living in freedom means there's a million spiritual things we could do, good things we could do. It means there are millions of ways this week that we are going to have opportunities to show love for our neighbor. It means there are millions. We were free to make a million things, to enjoy a million things. Like there are there aren't boundaries. There's freedom. So many good things that can be done. How are we going to use that freedom? We are free as Christians. And even as I'm mainly speaking to Christians today, those who would identify as Christians, I also recognize there are those in this room likely that that would not be you. You would not necessarily identify as a Christian. And I'm, I'm grateful you are here. And I think actually this message would be helpful to hear at least what Christians are supposed to be, at least what God wants us to be as a community, whether even you would identify at this point as a Christian or not. How are we supposed to live in light of the freedom we've been given? Today, really, I just want to divide it up into two parts, and that is this freedom brings with it a warning and a promise. This freedom brings with it a warning and a promise. Can I talk about the warning first? The warning is to believers. And the warning is this. This passage is telling us that a part of you, a part of me, left unchecked can destroy a church, not to mention a life. Here's the warning. A part of you, a part of us, a part of me left unchecked can destroy a church, not to mention your own life. What part of that? What am I talking about? A part of you, a part of me. What I'm talking about is the word Paul uses, I think, six different times in this passage alone. He calls it the flesh. Well, what is he talking about with flesh? Some translations are going to say sinful nature. One way flesh is used in scripture is like flesh and blood. Like, so we're, we're thinking like skin and bones and organs and that sort of thing. In this passage, it seems like flesh does include that. Like it's, it's, it is being human, but it's, it's maybe more specifically what it means to be a human in rebellion against God. So it's not just talking about, well, we're all human. It is saying that, but it is also saying there's, there's also something about being human and not God that says like, God, I don't want a God. I want to do life on my own. So the flesh becomes all the urges, all the impulses, all the values, all the assumptions we make with God out of the equation. So there is a 
part of us called the flesh, which if it's left unchecked, it basically means I'm going to do what I want to do. I know there have been times where I've had conversations with my wife when we're around. Have you ever seen like a, a, little, a little child? I know there are times where I've said, I don't think anybody's ever told that child no. I don't think that kid's ever heard no in their life. Just by the behavior you go, like, literally, I don't think that's ever happened. And that is what it looks like. And I promise the grown-up version is not pretty. When we never tell our flesh no. You know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. You can't stop me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to restrain any impulse. There's no thought of care for God or for others. I think back to a time probably in um, middle school, elementary school, hopefully not high school, but maybe, where I would be doing something and someone would say, like, could you stop doing that? And my reply would be, it's a free country. It's a free country. And I look back and I think, how stupid and how immature. So basically, there are people around the world, men and women, who are, who are there to defend our freedom. And then I and my punk self would say, this is a free country. I can make this noise if I want to make it. You know, it's like, really? So that may be helpful for us to remember when Paul says in Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers. But there is a potential misuse of that freedom. Don't use that freedom as an opportunity, and I like zero in on that word opportunity, as an opportunity for the flesh, because the word opportunity is kind of like, it was actually often used in a military setting where if you wanted to invade a country, you would like get a base of operation, kind of a forward base of operation, a beachhead, some, some place where you could influence other action and you could conquer more territory. And so what Paul is saying is, okay, you have freedom. Okay, there are a million good things you can do, but don't use the freedom that Christ died for you to have that freedom. Don't use that freedom to say, I can do whatever I want and nothing will keep that in check. Even though you're a Christian, do you you realize this? Even though you're a Christian, even though I am a Christian, there is a part of me that is flesh that left unchecked can exert influence and actually cause me to misuse the freedom that Christ died for. And that road of flesh leads somewhere. I think that may be what is most helpful about this passage because I, I kind of want to go, okay, so I did something wrong. I guess I should say I'm sorry, but really not that big of a deal. And actually, Paul says, let's play out what it looks like when the flesh is unrestrained. Just every human impulse. And that list, Tyler read a moment ago, it's actually called in verses 19 to 21, the works of the flesh. what the flesh looks like when it's going to work. What is that list? So you see a couple things there. You see sexual immorality. And as you look at the list, you see impurity and sensuality. 
And even you come to the end and you see drunkenness and orgies or wild parties. I mean, it's basically that's saying personally, like things are unrestrained. No limit, no cap. I'm going to do what I want to do. God may have boundaries of sexuality that are in the covenant of marriage. One man, one woman. I don't care. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Or drunkenness or, or these parties that go, basically, I'm going to live a life unrestrained. That's a work of the flesh. This is where it goes when the, the flesh is not, like, restrained. But there's something else in there. There's actually something kind of underlying the whole passage. As there are other dark places the flesh can go, not just personally, but in relationships. It's actually not that hard for me to picture like unrestrained urges and impulses leading to some dark places personally. But I don't know if you heard the words that Tyler read in verse 15 about biting and devouring each other, consuming each other. It's like wild animals. So think about this. I mean, a a phrase we might say is a dog-eat-dog world where you go, you go into the world, whether it's politics or business or certainly social media, and you go, there's a world out there that just chews people up and spits them out. Every cheap shot is taken. The gloves are off all the time. Paul is saying, like, the works of the flesh means that ugliness, that awfulness, that world which none of us really care to live in or care to participate in. Actually, what happens if the works of the flesh are unrestrained is that comes to church. And there's no difference. It means there's, in the list in the middle, is enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and envy. Verse 26, he closes it like, be careful because you're going to become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Frankly, if you've been at church very long at all, you know it is an awful thing when that comes to the people of God. When that begins to be the way we operate around here is in hallways and in parking lots, in texts. We take cheap shots. It's just the way we roll. It doesn't matter who gets hurt. I'm going to be in the right. I'm going to do what I want. I think I've earned a right to say whatever, whatever, whatever. And Paul is calling that out, the bride that Christ died for. Do you really want to see the bride that Christ died for disintegrate and degenerate into painful things? When I read about the flesh, I'd like to think, you know, I've been a Christian for a while, basically as long as I can remember. There's part of me that thinks, you know, the flesh and those impulses, like I used to be able to relate to that 10 years ago, but like I've now achieved the status where the flesh is not, like no human impulse ever needs to be put in check, but that's, frankly, that's just not the way it is. I think the longer I walk with Christ, the more I actually become more aware of some of the ugliness and the roots behind some of those impulses. What Paul is saying is that it is taking a lifetime to work out these these impulses, these urges of the flesh, and it is a significant warning to us. Over time, a part of you left unchecked, 
here's the warning, can destroy a church, not to mention your life. And all that seems like, well, that isn't good news, Curtis. Like, that doesn't provide a lot of hope or help. Thanks for bad news. I was already aware that I was, you know, a bad person, and thanks for making it worse. It would be left like that, um, except for as powerful as the, fresh, the, the flesh is and as distressing as all this, that is not, this passage doesn't just leave us with a warning. It also gives us a promise, and the promise is such a contrast because the promise is actually also to believers, and the promise is that a person is in you. Okay, if the warning says things are not okay, be careful. The promise is that there is a person in you working with you to change you for your good. There is a person in you working with you and on you to change you for your good. And by that, I do mean to change you into what you want to be and actually what you were designed to be, what you were made to be. There's a person working in you. Who is that? That is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus made a, a really, really big deal about this. That, I mean, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. On the same night that he gave us that to observe, he also had his disciples around him. And, and imagine with me, I, it's not that hard for me to imagine that Jesus had walked with his disciples. He had chosen them. He had guided them. He had loved them. He had led them. He had energized them, encouraged them, restored them. So imagine the disciples' disappointment when Jesus calls those people together, and it seems like a pretty serious night. First there are 12, one leaves, there's 11, and he looks at those disciples and he says, I'm leaving you. And you can imagine their heartbreak of like, Jesus, you're, you're leaving us. We need your help. Like, how are we going to make it in the world without you? You are our leader. And Jesus on that night says, I, I'm not going to leave you helpless, though. I actually am going to leave you with about a thousand-pound scroll. And it's going to detail every single idea, action, attitude you could ever have in, in, in such detail that you're going to be able to judge other people with this scroll, with all these writings. I'm leaving you with every case, every scenario, every code, all these rules that you're going to have to keep. And I, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm leaving you with rules and a code. And that's not what he said. Instead, what Jesus says is, I'm leaving you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you another helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And although I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit is coming in you. And he will take my words and bring them to life. Paul gives us a promise like, what's going to help you fight, fight the, the flesh, the urges, the things that just feel like, in some ways, do feel a part of you? What's going to help you fight those? It won't be a thousand-page rule book. Jesus had a, a, an entirely different plan. He says, I want to give you a person. I will come to you. I will be present with you. The Holy Spirit is our power to walk. We're actually told in verse 16 to walk in the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. So kind of, I mean, what a great analogy, like limb by limb, the whole body engaged in walking. Yeah, that is exactly what the Spirit is going to do. It's going to show you exactly what decisions you need to make to fight the flat 
flesh to come combat it. And it says in verse 18, this Holy Spirit, this person in you is going to lead you. And I don't want you to think of leading like a, a quiet tour in a museum and a guide leading you. Like, I might invite your attention to this next room where we imagine leading like a coach, the best coach you've ever had, who is encouraging you and influencing you and directing you, saying this is what you need to do and you can do this. And it pulls something out of you that you did not even know that was in you. That's the kind of leading that I think is promised here. producing fruit. That's where we've read in verse 22, verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that's being produced in you. It's not even like I'm working really hard to manufacture this. The fruit of the Spirit that's being produced in us is love, joy, peace, patience. Patience is an interesting word. It's not even so much patience with circumstances. It's patience with people. Big-heartedness, generosity, goodness, kindness, Faithfulness, being there for someone. Who doesn't want to live in that kind of world? Who doesn't want to live in community? Number two, where people are, are focused on loving their neighbor as themselves. I mean, only the Spirit could do that. Only the Spirit. I mean, I could, I could try to fight some urges for a while and try to manufacture some things, but only the Spirit could change me from the inside out, change who I am at the core for the better. Then even verse 26, it's like the Spirit is going to help you walk in step, keep in step, walk in line. Here's the promise that a person in you is working with you for your good. To change you. What a promise and a warning. This is what I sense from this passage is like these things are in conflict, my flesh and the Holy Spirit. And until I meet Jesus, there is a war. There's a war to act on my impulses. But I do have the Holy Spirit. So if that's the warning and the promise, what do we do with it? How do we pay attention to the warning? How do we take hold of the promise? How do we pay attention to the warning? How do we take a hold to the promise? I mean, what will it mean for you to take, like to really pay attention to the warning? I think it's recognizing that, yes, my, my flesh has been crucified. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And in, in my mind, this is what I've been thinking about all week long. It's like, I don't want my flesh to be unrestrained. So what speed bumps and obstacles? So I don't just go sailing from like, I have this impulse and I act on this impulse. What speed bumps and roadblocks? Can I put in place so that I don't act on it? So when I have those thousand low-grade irritations, when I think life is just all messed up and I'm tempted to get very, very angry and very, very frustrated with other people, is there anything that tells me like, yeah, that's not okay? When I'm tempted to be divisive, when I'm tempted to have a fit of anger, when I'm tempted to say, I want it my way, I'm jealous of that person, I'm envious of that, it must be nice to have that. When it's tempted to go like a, a million bad places in my heart, is there anybody, anything in my life that's going to say, you know, that's not okay? Is there anybody that close to you? Do you have any exposure to God's word? Is it on a regular basis? Do you, do you pray knowing that the Spirit helps us even in our praying? Is there, are, there, are there things that keep your impulses in check? How about your conscience? Is it sensitive 
Or was it sensitive like five months ago, but not so much now? You just kind of run over it, no speed bump. I'll do what I want to do. I'll act how I want to act, and nobody's going to tell me otherwise. When your conscience pings and says, that's not okay, do you respond or you just add one more layer of callous to it? And go, I think I'll do life on my own. Thank you. What will help us pay attention to the warning? What will help us take hold of the promise? I have to think like Jesus was so, so excited to tell his disciples that he, he was going to leave, but he wasn't going to leave them helpless or without a, even a helper. But I wonder how much do we hear that and we go, okay, we have the Holy Spirit. How much do we treat that almost as if someone handed you a business card of a, a plumber or electrician and said, hey, if you ever need anything, here, this is a person to call. And do we treat the Holy Spirit as if like, well, if I ever get jammed up, I know who I can call. I can call the Holy Spirit. I've got that number in my back pocket. I can always pull it out and go, okay, I need some help here. Life's a little too hard on my own. Is that really taking hold of the relationship when someone has given us a person? Is that to be on call should you ever need help or is that a relationship where you pray because you know the Spirit is helping us in our prayers, assuring us that we are our Heavenly Father's? Do, do we read God's word knowing the Spirit breathed out God's word? We have it. And so how do we know more about what the Spirit wants? We read God's word. And the Spirit makes it come alive to us. We build this relationship, which relationships are only built by lots of communication and trust and vulnerability. We lay things before the Lord and say, this is who I am. I want to lay hold of the promise that I have a helper I'm not left trying to just try to avoid being the worst version of myself. I have a helper that's actually transforming me and I'm, I can walk by the Spirit. I can be led by the Spirit, not just in like big decisions, but in those decisions when I'm impatient and how do I treat this person and what do I do in this situation? I can live by the Spirit. I can walk in line with the Spirit. One particular image has meant a lot to me. I don't, I don't know. I've just thought about it a lot this week, maybe knowing we were having communion. And I want to close with this image because I'd, I'd love for this to be in your mind. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he had his disciples there with him. And I was just thinking about that. Okay, so he had his disciples in front of them, and he's getting ready to tell them, great news, you have the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. But, but before him is Thomas, whose impulses of the flesh are going to be to question, if not to doubt, to wonder, to worry. And there's Peter. He certainly had all kinds of fleshly impulses to be overconfident, to be proud, all those, but not me. I'll hang in there for you. Those impulses of the flesh. There's James and John who kind of go, we will get the like the number one and two spots in the kingdom, right? Can we, can we just settle that now? That impulse of pride better than other people. So Jesus looks at those disciples. And frankly, if I put myself around that table, he looks at my fleshly impulses as well. And he looks at your fleshly impulses as well. All the urges, 
all the things that humanly say, well, why not go for it? And he says, I know just what you need to help you in this. And I'm going to make provision. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And that is going to be exactly who you need to walk you all the way home until we see each other face to face. What a promise. What more could we ask for? Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit resides in us to help us, to help us fight our flesh. Let me pray. Just to ask for the Lord's help in this. Thank you, Lord, for a reminder that we are not alone. Most certainly we're not alone. As lonely as the loneliest person feels today, if they are in Christ, they have a gift that you gave them. So thank you. And I pray our church would be a spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-guided conversation, uh, a church that has conversations and love and sacrifice that can only be explained by your spirit producing fruit. So Father, I thank you for sending Jesus, and I thank you today, especially for sending the Holy Spirit. We pray for good, deep work to be produced in our lives as we fight the flesh, as we pursue walking in line with the Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.